I was listening yesterday to a radio show that I like, and I know some of you like it too, The Prairie Home Companion. And uh, on that show, one of the features that they often have is stories about uh, a private detective named Guy Noir. Guy Noir is a private detective who apparently doesn't have that many clients and is often sitting around a lot thinking about life. Uh, and so Guy Noir apparently went down to the local coffee shop to have a coffee and he didn't want any lattes either, wasn't interested in any of that. He just wanted coffee with no sugar or cream. And he was sitting in the coffee shop and he looked over and he saw someone in the coffee shop and he kept looking at him and all of a sudden he realized it was the Pope. <laughs> and this was yesterday, by the way. It was the Pope in regular clothes, disguised as not the Pope. And so he went over and he started talking to him and he said, uh, you're the Pope, aren't you? And the guy says, yeah, but you know, shh. He said, I just had to get away. I just had to have a break, you know, it, it's so intense. There's, there's, you know, 10 different events during the day. And he said, I just needed to get away and, you know, kind of be by myself and have a cup of coffee. And so Guy Noir, you know, he's a private detective. He's not going to give him away. And he said, you know, they, they, they had a little chat. But Guy said, you know what, I just saw you on television. You're in Philadelphia. And the Pope was in Philadelphia. He said, I just saw you. And the Pope says, well, that, that's not me. That's Jerry. I'm not sure I got the name right, but it's what I read. He said, that's Jerry. He fills in for me all the time. <laughs> he says, he looks more like me than I do. <laughs> so they had a talk, a little dialogue over a cup of coffee, and the Pope basically said, I got to go. I've, you know, I've got to get back. There, there are more events planned, and so... He uh, just walked out of the coffee shop back into being the Pope. And that's the end of the story. <laughs> I have had a mixture of reactions to Pope Francis this week, but I must admit that I find him refreshing and hopeful. I even like him kissing the babies when the, the, the guard guys you know, parents hand the baby over and then the guard brings it up to the Pope Mobile and then he kisses the baby and gives it back to the guard and the guard takes it back to the family and then they bring more babies. And you can just see that, that the families are just totally in bliss about this. I'm particularly inspired when he talks with conviction about climate change, about the scandal of poverty in the world, about the need for cooperation amongst all people, when he talks about the serious limits of capitalism 
to solve the actual problems of the world, at least the way it's practiced right now. And when he talks about capital punishment and all different kinds of issues, and I find myself drawn to this and feeling connected to him, and then I say to myself, am I a Catholic? And then I hear myself answer, no, <laughs> I'm not a Catholic. But nevertheless, I think this guy makes sense about 80% of the time. And I want you to know that I just made that number up. <laughs> I have no data whatsoever. But it's just a way of trying to uh, express my personal experience. And you might have a different personal experience. I, I don't know what that is. But I do know that all around this country this has been predominantly a wave of inspiration. Predominantly. On Thursday night, this past Thursday night, our adult religious education class was studying this wonderful book called Just Mercy. I recommend it to you highly. And those of us who have been reading it, I think, have been really captivated. It's a book about justice, uh, the criminal justice system, and particularly the plight of people on death row. One of the things we know about death row is that some of the people on death row didn't commit a crime. And he is particularly interested in those people. And some of them may have committed some crime, but it's difficult to see why they're in that particular circumstance. And so we've been uh, really looking at one particular story that's in the book Just Mercy about a guy who's on death row and he didn't do it. And it's obvious to anyone who pays attention to the facts that he didn't do it. It's not, it's not a borderline case. There isn't any evidence whatsoever against him, but he's on death row. So we're really studying this case and how the lawyer Brian Stevenson worked with him. And we had just gotten that night to hearing about he was finally released because there simply wasn't any evidence connecting him to the crime. And then I got home and I turned on the TV and I heard that the Pope during Thursday had called for the abolition of the death penalty all over the world as being something that doesn't correspond with the idea of the worth and dignity of every person. So you may have an opinion about that, but it, it was such a striking experience for me that we discussed it that very night and then I heard him speaking about it during the day. That's what's sometimes called a meaningful coincidence. I also heard about him speaking to Congress and this wonderful incident which is so interesting in multiple ways where he said that um, one of the things that we have to do in the United States is uh, protect the sanctity of all life. And then the news people said, all the Republicans applauded like crazy. And then he said, and we need to specifically pay attention to capital punishment. He said, all the Republicans were quiet and the Democrats <laughs> went crazy. So it's a complex world, isn't it? So I have the feeling that I am in tune with this guy about, I said about 80% of the time, and about 20% of the time I'm not in tune with him. 
But I would ask you this morning, isn't 80% a pretty high number? That's a pretty high number, isn't it? Despite the fact that I have no data to support it. <laughs> it's a way of trying to capture an experience. But apparently, I'm not the only one who has this experience. In about two and a half weeks, I think it's 18 days as a matter of fact, about 30 or 35 members of this church will be leaving Peoria to go to the Parliament of the World's Religions in Salt Lake City. We're, we're, there's about, it's, it's still fluctuating a little bit, but it's around 30 to 35 members of our church are going. The Parliament of the World's Religions is a huge interfaith gathering that happens about once every five years of people from all different kinds of faiths. Really, it's quite inclusive to get together for five days of interfaith dialogue. And the parliament movement, by the way, was partly founded by a Unitarian minister in 1893. His name was Jenkins Lloyd-Jones. If you were here for one of Linda White's sermons, she gave a sermon on Jenkins Lloyd-Jones. I don't know if you remember that or not, but he's one of the founders of the parliament in 1893. The parliament for this year has identified three main issues to focus on during this time of interfaith dialogue. The three issues are climate change, economic inequality, and war and violence. Those are the three big ones that the parliament's gonna focus on, and there will be other things going on today too, during that week too. <clears throat> I am going to predict today that the Catholics who come to the parliament are going to be revved up and ready to go on these issues. They are going to be ready to go. Whether we know it or not, lots of Catholics are already revved up, but now the Pope has come and made these statements about these issues. And so he's thrown the weight of the church behind seeking solutions. And they're going to be ready to talk and ready to find meaningful ways to act. Now, in general, not always, but in general, there are many theological differences between Catholics and UUs. Lots of UUs do not agree with Catholicism on the divinity of Jesus, the existence and nature of God, the reality of heaven and hell, sin, salvation, right on down the line. We have all kinds of different ideas about these. Francis David said it in the 16th century. There are many ideas about sin and salvation and God and always have been. Many Unitarian Universalists also have serious disagreements with Catholic doctrine on the role of women and reproductive issues and LGBT issues and the interpretation of the phrase freedom of religion. And so there, there are real differences and I don't want to minimize them. And as for the Catholics, many of them hardly know that we exist because we're a tiny little group. And yet it is also true that the Catholics who will come to Salt Lake City, I'm quite confident, are going to be ready to really engage on these issues that have been identified. They're, they're going to be ready to go. Climate change, poverty, economic inequality, 
capital punishment, a host of other issues. Issues centered around compassion. Compassion for those in need. Equality and human dignity. Now, especially in regard to climate change, if the scientific community is right, and I'm pretty much inclined to trust them on this, time is of the essence in that particular discussion. We do not have an infinite amount of time to talk about that. We don't have an infinite amount of time to have discussion groups about climate change. Those of you who are new may not know the old story about UUs. When the UUs die and go to heaven, they get to the pearly gates and there's a sign at the pearly gates and one, there are actually two signs. One of them says heaven and the other one says discussion about heaven. <laughs> I'm not going to take it any further. That's a UU joke. You can tell that at a party if you want to. <laughs> <clears throat> we don't have an infinite amount of time to talk about climate change. But I do think there's an open door. There are several open doors right now for discussion. And to a great extent, it is the Pope who has opened some of these doors. I greatly appreciate that. So I think that when doors like this are open, then Wisdom calls for us to walk through that door. That's what wisdom calls us to. When that door is open, because it's not open all the time, then wisdom calls us to walk through that door. We can discuss theology. That has its value. And sometimes theology may affect decision making. But discussing theology is not always the best use of time. We need not think alike to love alike, says Francis Dobbin. We need not think alike to love alike. Love is something more universal than our thoughts. It takes place at a deeper level than our thoughts. Alice Walker says, love is not concerned with whom you pray or where you slept the night you ran away from home. Love is concerned that the beating of your heart should kill no one. So love is on a deeper level than our thoughts about God or peace. It's not primarily about thinking. We are concerned about saving human lives, about saving ecosystems with billions of creatures. We're concerned about preventing war and hunger and disease, and we're concerned about justice and equality for all people. We can work on these projects together with all kinds of people without agreeing with them on everything. We don't have to. We don't have to agree on theology all the time. We can go out and try to do something. And if we don't, I don't see how we're going to do it by ourselves. That isn't very likely. That's not a good bet. 
I find the Pope a fascinating example of how this works because he appears at least to many people and I must say he's got, got me to be authentic, genuine, loving, socially conscious and real and yet he hasn't changed any of the, the theology of Catholicism. He hasn't changed, he hasn't announced that the theology of Catholicism has changed. Much of which I don't particularly agree with. I am forced to conclude that in some deep way, I have been thinking about this for years, and I am coming to the conclusion that actually we don't care that much about theology. We actually don't care that much what people think about some of these big theological issues. I think we care more about where they're at in response to human needs. I think we care much more about that. And when we feel that there is a common concern common caring, and if we are convinced that it's authentic, which we're not always convinced, but if we're convinced that it's authentic and it's real, I don't think we care that much about theology. Even though we use, use talk about that a lot, we believe in this, we don't believe in that, I think this caring for humanity and caring for the planet, and I think it just transcends all that stuff. I just think it's beyond that. It's not primarily about theology. It's not about whether you think there's a God or there isn't a God. It's love. It's love. Love is beyond that. And apparently, one can be that kind of person or have that kind of conviction within almost any religious framework or with no religious framework at all. You don't even need to have a religious framework to have that. Not at all. There are lots of people around who have that loving authenticity and just are not religious at all. What a revelation. Love and authenticity and compassion are not linked to particular belief systems, at least not in the sense that they belong exclusively to any belief system. They don't belong exclusively to anyone. They don't belong exclusively to the Catholics or the Hindus or the atheists. It could belong to anyone. Apparently, one could live an authentic, loving, caring life from almost any religious perspective or none at all. One could even be the Pope and be authentic. Could you be a Muslim and live a life of genuine love and compassion? Is that possible? Some folks are pretty skeptical that this would be possible, but I think they're mistaken. Look at the young woman Malali who was shot by the Taliban and has become just a light in the world. She radiates that. There will be caring and compassionate Muslims in great evidence when we get to Salt Lake City. The Imam who visited us, visited us last year, Imam Mufti, was experienced by everyone I talked to as a wonderful guy who wanted to take a stand 
against violence, a clear-cut stand against violence. <laughs> there is a very fascinating uh, guy in Congress named Keith Ellison from Minneapolis, who is a Muslim, who is one of the most progressive leaders in Congress. We heard him speak at one of our UU General Assemblies a few years ago, and he just brought the house down. How about evangelical Christians? Oh, Lord. <laughs> Check our blood pressure. There is a fascinating evangelical Christian named Jim Wallace. I don't know if you've heard of him or not, who will be at the parliament. He's written a bunch of books, um, including one called God's Politics. He's an evangelical Christian who is a champion, an absolute champion of the poor, the oppressed, and for the earth. Many of us have these authentically loving evangelicals in our families. We know that. We know their love is real, even if their theology may not make sense to us. Perhaps in some way, we are living in a post-theological world. I throw that out to you this morning. Many of our traditions have preached that it matters more what we do than what we believe, and maybe that viewpoint is really coming into the consciousness of the planet. I am not going to say that these difference do not, differences don't matter because sometimes they do have their effects. And we need to think about that and there are times when we have to take a position and say this is where our tradition stands. We do need to do that. We need to take those positions. But when we do that, we have to leave the door open to talk to people about it. If we take the position and slam the door, we are not as likely to be helping the world as when we take it and leave that door open. And like the queen in the story, invite the enemy over for tea. One can do both of those at the same time. There is a possible level of cooperation, of common concern and compassion within human nature that takes place at a deeper level than making statements and then agreeing or disagreeing with them. It takes place at a deeper level than that. There is a level of connection that is within our reach as humans that seems to transcend the world of agreeing and disagreeing. There is a poem by Rumi that says, out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. Rumi, by the way, is a 13th century Sufi Muslim. When we feel that we are near that place, we are not thinking about doctrine or theology or the tribe we belong to. We are truly feeling love and compassion and we are feeling interconnected. We need not think alike to love alike. When such a door is open, we are called to walk through the door. 
to move beyond traditional limitations and boundaries and break new ground. The world's most urgent problems will not wait until we agree on everything. They won't wait. There's no time for that. That's a luxury. We can work on that, but actions have to be taken long before that will be resolved. It's just not a practical approach. Climate change is the perfect example of that, by the way. Something that is forcing us to move quickly beyond our small perspectives and think in a much more cooperative way. A, a really deeply humanly cooperative way. In the old story of the Good Samaritan, the despised Samaritan turns out to be the genuinely caring person. I, I know you've heard this story. Now, no one in the Jewish community at that time would have thought that a Samaritan could be a loving person because, see, the Samaritans were despised. They were the no-good people. And so the idea of a Good Samaritan is an oxymoron. You can't have a good Samaritan because, you know, the people who live over there on that island, they're just no good. That's reality, right? Until somebody shatters that reality. No one in the Jewish community at that time would have thought such a thing could be possible. That's why it's a powerful story. Just recently, a Muslim kid who brought a clock to school was handcuffed and taken away on suspicion of having a bomb. I heard, uh, I read a piece on the police captain. He said, we knew he didn't have a bomb. We just had to do it. We knew he didn't have a bomb. He was a kid. He was one of these smart, inventive kids who is the hope of our common future. And it turns out, surprisingly enough, that even the Pope could be a prophet. Who would have thought it? We really don't have time to constantly be suspicious. There are times to question. And there are times to make sure we are safe. There are times to draw lines of difference. But if we lose our ability to trust and see the beauty in the other, to act across old boundaries of suspicion, we will never make it to Rumi's field where true meeting takes place. We don't have forever to decide who is right and who is wrong. We have to move beyond our ancient animosities and find that deeper level where love is real.